All right, great to see all of you. Be with you this morning and won't keep you too long so that the heat doesn't get too bad out there this morning. But as always, want to welcome you here to Calvary Chapel, Cornerstone. If it's your first time, we're really honored to have you. And for those that might be watching this morning, we're blessed to see you tuning in and taking part of this morning's uh, worship service. And uh, I'm sure you all know uh, the times that we're living in, critical times. Times like, at least for me, I have never seen before. Times that I never thought I would see in my lifetime. Even though when I first got saved back in 1973, me and Kathy, my wife, we heard about this kind of stuff. Pastor Chuck used to teach us faithfully and constantly these days were coming. And I would sure love to hear what Pastor Chuck, if he was here, would be saying. But nonetheless, we're in those days, I believe the last days, and Christ is standing at the threshold. Don't know how many <clears throat> days we have left, but they seem to be few. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, not anybody or anything else. And I want to speak to you today. It has a lot to do with voting. And... Uh, Way back in the early part of the century, pastors used to give an election message. Talk about voting and those to be looking to, to vote for. So basically, you know, I want to talk about uh, who are you going to vote for? And I don't mean to tell me the name of the person. I'm, what I mean is, really it's between God's word and man's word. That's the bottom line. Are you going to vote for God's word or man's word? And God shows us his heart. It's revealed to us about many things in the Bible. Where he stands on many things in this world, in this life. It also tells us his heart about his concern for government leaders and leadership. By telling us, telling us Christians... That we should pray in this frame of mind when we look at the counsel in the following verses of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The verse says, Therefore I exhort first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority. Here's why. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence or honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who is, good, who is good, I'm sorry, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now these scriptures tell us as Christians that we are to be good citizens. Good citizens. 
and as good citizens in our government and organization here in the United States of America. We shouldn't leave the operation of the government to ungodly men. This is a command given to Christians to pray for all men in general and especially for all men in authority. And Timothy must be sure that this is done. Paul doesn't send Timothy any particular way to pray or some form of prayer so that they wouldn't be tied to a particular form of prayer. But in general, that they should make supplications. That means a prayer for a specific thing. Prayers, prayers in general. Intercessions, which is praying for others and giving of thanks. Giving of thanks for who God is and what he does for us in his grace. Supplications. In this case, for the turning away of evil. Prayers for the obtaining of good. Intercessions for others. And in this case, our government, who are we going to vote for? And thanksgivings for mercies and blessings that we've already received. Being able to live in this country, the United States of America. Paul thought that giving them general instructions was enough. Because you see, they had the scriptures. They had the word of God. But they didn't have the whole Bible like we do. To guide them in prayer and the spirit of prayer was poured out upon them so that they didn't need any further instructions. And notice that one of the purposes of Christianity is to encourage prayer. And the disciples of Christ, and that's each one of you out here right now, if you're born again. The purpose of Christianity is to encourage prayer by us. We must be praying people. And when I thought about this, I know there's a lot of verses on prayer. And I want to read some to you, but as I researched them or wrote them down, one continuous theme ran through every scripture. Pick it out as I read them to you. Ephesians 6.18, Paul said, praying always with all prayer. There must be prayer for ourselves in the first place. This is implied when Jesus said, give us our daily bread. Then Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Jesus said in Luke 18.1, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. The inference is if you're losing heart, you're not praying. Jesus said, praying always, never giving up. Paul said in Romans 1.9, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayer. In Acts 1.14, these, speaking of the 120 praying for Pentecost, these all continued, continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Paul said in Romans 12, 19 through 12, let love be without hypocrisy. And he listed a bunch of things that, that we were to do. 
But the last one was this. Continuing. He said, let love be without hypocrisy. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Colossians 4.2. Continue earnestly in prayer. Being vigilant in it. Luke 6, 12 through 13, Jesus, it says, continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12 whom also he named apostles. The theme, the subject of all of those verses was always praying, continuing in prayer. Always continuing in prayer. Jesus prayed all night and then he chose his leadership. We need to be studying the word of God, studying the candidates and praying for those who are, are most biblically, who are following most of the biblical standards. Don't get clouded by everything else that's going on. All the stuff that's said. And God said in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 through 15, if my people, my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Notice, that's when I will hear your prayer. But he made a lot of stipulations before that. Humble yourself, pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. Then I'll listen. Then I'll forgive your sin and then I'll heal your land. He says, now, now, as a result of that, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter Again, 2 verses 1 through 4. He said, we must, Paul said, we must pray for all men. That is for the world of mankind in general. And particularly for people who need or want our prayers. And not only for those that, you know, that, that were Christians, but for all men. And then verse 2, he said, pray for kings. Pray for kings. Even though the kings at this time were ungodly. When Paul said this, and they were enemies of Christianity and they were persecu persecutors of Christians. He said, yet we must pray for them because it's for the good of society that there should be civil government and the people entrusted with managing it. This is why we have to pray for them, even though we don't like their policies and we ourselves maybe sometimes suffer under them. And I know some are saying that right now. We don't like a lot of our leaders' policies and we're suffering to some degree. Not as great as what the Christians in Paul's day were going through. But Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12, 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should, should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Sin not to pray. He said, pray for kings and all that are in authority. Those who are in authority is speaking of those in lower positions than kings. In other words, all levels of leadership and government. 
We must pray for them. We must give thanks for them. Boy, is that hard to do. But Paul tells us in in Romans 13 that God put them there. God has appointed them. We must pray for their good. We must pray for the good of their nations, their states, and their cities. And we must not plot against them. So that in the peace of those places, we may continue to have peace and give thanks for them. And for the benefit and the blessing that we have under their government. That we may lead, as it says in verse 2 here, a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness. And it says reverence, but again, it's a, it means respect. Or it says in respect, which means honestly. So again, the same thing. This is what we must desire for kings, whoever they are. Praying that God will turn their hearts toward him. And that he'll lead them and he'll use them in such a way that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life under their authority. Now, Paul doesn't say that we're to do this so that we might get some you know, profit out of it. In other words, you know, we might get some kind of promotion or advancement under their leadership. You know, we might be get rich or you know, might be in honor, get some kind of fame or power under them. No. The high point of the... Of, the drive or the motivation of a good Christian is to lead a quiet and peaceable life. To get through the world without being mistreated and and harmed. We should want for ourselves and others to lead a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Suggesting that we can expect to continue to live in a quiet and peaceable life Unless we abide in all godliness and honesty. That's what's so important in our voting. In all, every time that we vote. We need to fulfill our responsibility as Christians. Then we can expect to be taken under the protection of both God and the government. How can we vote against godly things and expect the protection of God? The blessings of God. Paul said, in all godliness and honesty. In all godliness godliness and honesty, we have our duty as Christians summed up in these two words. Godliness is the right way of worshiping of God and honesty is good conduct towards all men. Then these two have to go together. Because you see, we're not really honest if we're not godly. And don't give God his due. And we're not really godly if we're not honest. And here we can see that. Christians are to be men and women of much prayer. We ought to abound in prayer. And in our prayers, we are to have a genuine and abundant concern for others as well as ourselves. That's why Paul said we're to pray for all men and to give thanks for all men. And we must not, and this is something that spoke to me, 
must not limit our prayers nor our thanksgiving to just ourselves and our families. And I find myself, and I mentioned this to my wife the other night when I was studying this. You know, I'll, I'll pray for me and my family and my kids and the church and a few, you know, real close friends that I've had for, you know, a long time. That little intimate circle. No wonder my prayers are so short. If we really thought about all that we need to pray for, we have a much longer prayer time. Not that length is the quality of the prayer, but just that's automatic. If I would pray for the needs and the things that I should pray for, it would be a better prayer time. Prayer consists of various parts, as, as Paul said here in First Timothy. Supplications, which are prayers for certain things. Intercessions, which is, means prayers for others. As Moses interceded for Israel when God wanted to say, Hey, Moses, let's wipe them out. You and me will start over. Thanksgivings. We must pray for the mercies that we want. And we must thank God for the mercies and the blessings that, that we've already received. And we need to pray and we need to condemn the judgments that our own sins or the sins of others have deserved. My judgments that have been sinful need to be condemned. All men, even kings themselves, we are to pray for and those who are in authority. Why? They need our prayers. Man, they 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 have a lot of difficulty, specifically speaking about our, our, our nation's leaders. The House, the Senate, the Congress, the President, Vice President. They have a lot of difficulties. They have a lot of responsibilities to deal with. Many dangers, as we see, and traps that their high-ranking positions expose them to. And in praying for our leaders, whether it's our, our presidents, our governors, our, our, our other leaders, we will have the most likely possibility, a strong possibility, to lead a peaceable and quiet life. The Jews at Babylon... When God sent them there in captivity. They were commanded by God. To seek the peace of the city of Babylon. Who the Lord took them away captives. He took them there. He says twice. I caused you to be there. This is my doing. And he said to pray to the Lord for the peace of that city. Because in the peace of that city. You would have peace. Let me listen, read to you what God told Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I want you to tell my people this. Jeremiah 29, 1 through 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive. Notice he says, whom I have caused to be carried away from captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. He tells the people in captivity. Build houses. Dwell in them, plant gardens, and eat their fruit. Take your wives, 
I mean, I'm sorry, take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands. Notice that they may bear, so that they may bear sons and daughters. Notice that you may be increased there. He wanted them to flourish in that in that that land of captivity. And when I think of that, I want, I'm thinking that God, God wanted the people, his people to show. Them, hey, you know what? Because I serve a mighty God, I can thrive wherever you put me, God. He says, and seek peace of the city where I, God, two times, he says, where I, God, have caused you to be carried away captive. And he says, and pray to the Lord for it. He's taught, what's it? The city. Pray to God for the city because in its peace, you will have peace. In other words, because the city's welfare will determine your welfare. God wanted Jeremiah to instruct his people and encourage them in their new way of life as captives in Babylon. They were now governed by new leaders. And they were governed by new laws. Pretty much some of the stuff we're going through. Governed by, by new laws, by special laws. In Israel's case, it was concerning clean and unclean things. The Jewish people would have a hard time adjusting to a pagan ruler and pagan laws and a pagan city. But God wanted his people to be good witnesses to the idolatrous nations, uh, the, uh, the idolatrous nation of Babylon. And he wanted them to be good Jews, even though they were separated from their church, in this case, temple and its services. God didn't want them to be sitting around whining and complaining about their uncomfortable situation, but to accept their new situation from the hand of God and let God have his way. God is always doing something. Nothing happens capriciously or at random or, or by mistake. One of the first steps in turning this ungodly time in our nation into triumph is to right now accept our situation positively, put ourselves into God's loving hands, his all-wise hands, who never makes mistakes. Now, it would be real easy to understand, be easy and understandable for the Jews to be constantly protesting. And demonstrating against the people who were holding them captive. But God told Jeremiah, he said, instruct them to do everything they can to get along without compromising with the Babylonians. The captive Jews were to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. They were to pray sincerely for their enemies. And it was possible to be good Jews, even in a pagan land, under pagan leaders and under those conditions. Tough conditions. So the best thing to do is to submit ourselves to the Lord and those who are under us you know, without compromising, no matter how badly they may treat us. If we don't submit, we will miss out on what God has planned for us. God wanted his people to do good in their communities and be a blessing to their ungodly neighbors. Now, keep in mind, it was God who caused them to be captives in Babylon, and they should be a blessing where they were sent. 
Paul said, For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. The authorities are God's servants and sent for good. Romans 13, 1 through 5. I just picked certain parts out of that passage to highlight them. But God, but Paul said, the, the gods, they're, they're God's servants. The authorities are God's servants and they're sent for your good. And then Paul says in Romans eight twenty eight, we know all things work together for good. And keep in mind, when Paul wrote these words to the Romans, it was during the reign of Emperor Nero. He was not a nice man. He was an oppressive, cold-hearted, godless emperor. But Paul said no authority exists other than what God established and that rulers are serving God in their political office. And it be, might be hard for us to pray for those in authority if they're evil and we don't like their policies. But that's what we're instructed to do. And that's when our prayers are needed the most. And if we want to lead a peaceable and quiet life, we must live, as Paul said, in all godliness and honesty. We must do our duty to God and man. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11, He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Now, if we do nothing, let's say, you know, because there are, there are Christians who just say, well, you know, and I'm, I'm already kind of jumping ahead that oh, I can't vote. I, I just, and I'll explain in a minute, but I, I don't, if we do nothing, we're helping to put the wrong leadership in our nation. And as all, you all know, in just about a month, we're going to have in my estimate, in my opinion, the most important election in our lifetime. Hinges on, it hinges on taking away our freedoms that we now have. It could very possibly take away our religious freedom. You can make the difference by voting. Voting, though, based on biblical standards. That means voting wisely. And we will be accountable before God as to how we voted. That's why, Sarah, you need to spend the time to study and pray so that you could choose the right candidate. So that you can vote wisely. Again, not on your emotions, uh, 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 but for the right candidates. As they, how do they measure up to the word of God? Right, voting for the right issues, like marriage and the family, education, support for Israel, climate change, law and order, environmental policy, the Second Amendment, a whole bunch of them. As Christians, we have to consider how the candidates stand on the issues. And not get caught up in the trap of voting strictly along party lines, race, or gender. Check them out with your mind and the word of God. 
check them out and see what candidates most closely follow biblical standards. Some Christians just vote Democrat or Republican because their, their parents vote that way. We need to vote for the best person for the job. They not only should be qualified for the job, but should be moral people with good character traits. And I can hear the minds clicking already. Really? <laughs> then we can't vote for anybody. You're not voting for a pastor. You're not voting for a pastor. And remember, at times, whatever you think, or however you're thinking, God used ungodly people. He used unsaved people sometimes to carry out his purposes. He used Cyrus. King Nebuchadnezzar, he used Rahab, Assyria. Against his people or for his people. Voting for somebody just because they tell us certain things that sound good, that's not the way to vote. Here's one issue right here. Just this one alone. How do the candidates stand on the life and death issue? Where they stand will show their integrity and character. Abortion. Assisted suicide. And when I talk about abortion, I just want to say I'm not no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The old life is, is gone and everything has become brand new. The Bible is very clear that God is the only one who is in charge of life. And death situations when it comes to birth and death. Not any man. God said in Deuteronomy 32, 39, I kill and I make alive. God alone has power over life and death. We don't see any biblical example of any godly person taking the life of another or his own with God's approval in an actual act of, of assisted suicide or no, or abortion. How God's heart must grieve for the millions and millions of babies that have been boarded in our nation. And we just studied last week or two weeks ago where, where God's word said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When Cain killed Abel out of anger, God said to Cain, your brother's blood calls out to me, cries out from the ground. God must grieve over the voices of those millions and millions of babies, their blood crying out from the ground. The Bible clearly says that we will be judged for this brutal crime. And if you don't know what a partial birth, partial birth abortion is, I saw a video of it. It's unthinkable. Unthinkable. 
And as Christians, to vote for somebody who supports that kind of cruelty, brutality, then we share in the guilt of that crime. The Bible says we will suffer a curse on our land for it, and the curse is the death of our land. Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, the Lord, it, the, it, it's a verse that says, The Lord six, hates these six things. And seven. I'm just going to read the last one. The Lord hates hands. Hates hands that shed innocent blood. How can you support anyone, anything that does something that God hates? The psalmist said in Psalm 97, 10, you who love the Lord hate evil. That means behave like a Christian. Paul said in Romans 12, 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Romans 1, 32 in the New Living Translation, it says, They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. And that th- these things were a list of sins just above that. And it says, They know God's justice requires that those who do these sins, they deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Your hands may not commit the crime. But if you encourage it to be done, you're just as guilty. Deuteronomy 27, 25, Cursed is anyone who accepts payment to kill an innocent person. And that's just one issue right there. Maybe you think, okay, my my vote doesn't count anyway. Or I'm discouraged by the whole political process. And I, it's, under, it's easy to see why. And I don't like those that I have to vote for, so I, I'd rather just not vote. Politicians, politics are corrupt. And because I'm a Christian, I don't think I should be a part of it. And these are just some of the excuses that people use to justify themselves for not exercising the civil and Christian duty to vote. Edmund Burke said this, All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Dante in the, Dante in the Inferno said this, The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, in a time of moral crisis, maintain their neutrality. And last but not least, Martin Luther King. And I love this. He said, history will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition wasn't the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out How many chances we had to change things for the better in this nation. Now think of it. It's for our children and our grandchildren. And yet we fail to do it. Why? Because we fail to use our right to vote. 
We need to think of what we're leaving our children and grandchildren behind. We don't realize the privilege we have to be able to say who, who, uh, we, who you know, to have that say as to who, who we choose to vote or who, who we choose to be our leaders and what kind of laws should rule our land. We might understand that now because we just didn't get here overnight. Years and years and years of not taking the responsibility to do the right thing and put the right people in. That's how we've ended up here today. Seeing what has happened in just the last eight months with some of the leaders who are running many of the states and, and cities. This country could be on its way to being a socialist nation. Hey, people are coming here to get away from that stuff. Because they know it's no good. They're coming here to get away from socialist governments and policies. Man, if we were to go to a country that didn't allow their people this right to choose its leaders... And if we had to live under the usual dictators that rule those countries, hey, we might be more thankful for this benefit and this privilege of voting. In George Barna's book, The Second Coming of the Church, I read this in an article last week. He said the number of Christians that registered to vote in a poll taken in 1997 was 93% as compared to 79% of non-Christians. More non-Christians were registered to vote than Christians. Then in a more recent report about Christians who vote, wallbuilders.com reported from 1992 to 2000 there was 40% total decrease in Christians who voted. They also reported that, think of this, out of 60 million evangelicals in America in 2000, only 15 million voted. Do you know what impact this, the, the Christian world could have if they all voted for biblical standards? Out of 60 million, only 15 million voted, and that some 24 million evangelicals were not even registered to vote. So if we have any complaints about those in leadership, And the lawlessness and the issues, the immorality, the, 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 the lawlessness, the new laws that have been passed and will be passed that are offensive and anti-biblical and anti-God, I think we can lay the blame on the church. I don't know if you all heard about the 
recently signed bill by Governor Newsom. How many of you heard SB 145? Just a few hands. He passed a bill allowing 24-year-olds to have sex with 14-year-olds without requiring to be a sex offender. Think about that. Your 14-year-old daughter, your 14-year-old son can have sex with a 24-year-old. And he doesn't have to be registered as a sex offender. It could be, I mean, I don't even have words for it. I'll just let that roll around in your mind. The reason why we should be concerned about prayer for all men, because in verse 4 here it says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then in verse 5 it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one God. There's no other. There can be no other because only one is infinite. He alone. There can only be one infinite God. And this one infinite God wants all men to be saved. He doesn't desire the death of anyone. He doesn't desire the destruction of any man. He desires the good and the salvation of all men everywhere. Ezekiel says this. God tells Ezekiel, tell them. As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn away from his, uh, turn from his way and live. God says, turn, turn, twice, emphasizing, turn from your evil ways. He says, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Now, God knows that all men are not going to be saved, but his will is for men to be saved, all men. And his desire is that not one should perish. And the only reason they will perish is by their own fault. Their own choosing. He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. To be saved in the way that he has appointed them. And not any other way. Through his son Jesus Christ. We want this to be a godly nation. And unless those who call themselves Christians. By biblical standards then it's not going to happen. That's why it concerns us to get the knowledge of the truth because that's the way to be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, we thank you for your tender mercies, Lord. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for sending your son. And Father, we thank you for saving us. And God, I pray that, Lord, this message may move someone somewhere, God, to reconsider their ways, to look at things through a biblical perspective, God. Again, to choose based on 
God's word, biblical standards, Lord. And Father, we do pray for those that don't know you, God, that they may come to know you through Jesus Christ, confessing their sin, receiving him by faith, and living for him all the days of their life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this moment, we're going to partake of communion. Before I forget...